You're listening to the Optimal State Podcast. Here we go. Hive Mind Detonation in three, two, one. Let's go. Confronting the lies and bringing the truth to light. The, truth. the mainstream. You can't handle the truth. Has been put on notice. This is the Optimal State Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Optimal State Podcast. Episode 12. Pretty sure, right, Adam? I think we're, well, last one was 11, so that would make this one 12, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, if we, I guess we follow the numbers correctly. I mean, it feels like just yesterday we're at number one. Yeah, pretty crazy, right? I mean, we have only been doing this for just over a month. But, uh, yeah, time does fly when you're having fun. We've been having a real good time. Awesome discussion so far. And I think we got a real good one uh, for you guys today. We're going to jump into the uh, the Brooke Jackson Pfizer lawsuit, which I didn't really know too much about until Adam brought it to my attention. But first, let's we'll give some introductions here. Uh, if you guys haven't listened to us before, we are the Optimal State Podcast. And we're a show that's, well, I think our, our mission statement is to call out a lot of the systems that are hell-bent on making you and me and Adam weak and uh, that the powers that be could take advantage of in multiple ways. And uh, we want to do away with that as much as possible and forge new paths that just make better futures for good people. And we think doing that involves just calling out all nefarious practices and bringing the truth to light. And uh, we do that in multiple ways. We usually call out some sort of uh, a new story or cultural event, sometimes some esoteric history, and we'll, we'll do a deep dive and... Uh, try to spin it in a way where we could come come to some sort of truth out of that. So that sounds like fun. You guys could uh, listen to us every Monday and Friday. We're trying to put out episodes. So we do the semi-weekly. And uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow us on the socials, you can check us out at Optimal State Pod. That's on Twitter and Instagram. We don't really do too much on Instagram. I, I don't anyway. Um but Twitter, we've been having some fun at. Uh, very interesting mind space, the, the Twitterverse. I have taken a huge break from that since uh, I just had like a personal account. But now since creating the podcast account, it's just, it's funny the stuff that gets people's attention, I guess, is my, uh, my takeaway. The hive mind. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the fucking, that is the, best place for that it's amazing how many people just uh um they're um they're sometimes you don't even think like this these, their opinions could be a real person because it's just sometimes you get swarmed and uh it, it, it's really interesting to look into how uh, people think about certain things and i think that twitter is kind of a good insight to you know, people's mind and what they're feeling about the world. Yeah, it seems that way. But I, I agree. I think there's it does you wonder sometimes is this a, a bot I'm engaging with or not? But uh real quick dude, let me introduce you. Uh you're, you know, um one of the hosts of the show. He's the the um the beach the beach philosopher, right? The the bard of the libertarian bard, I'd say, the man of men. Senior Adam. Yes. This is, uh, this is the co-host who's uh, with you today. And nice to, uh, well, I'm not going to say see you guys, but uh, I'm glad that me and Jerry are able to do this today. We've got a lot of good stuff to bring to the table. I think a lot of people don't know about the, the lawsuit, the whistleblower lawsuit. I think that it, uh, it really is kind of an eye-opener for people to understand what is, what is really going behind the scenes at uh these trial these clinical trials and yeah yeah and... totally yeah i think we should okay let's just jump right into it then so basically what we're doing is we're calling out uh this lawsuit that really i haven't seen too much about in the media and it's being brought the plaintiff is a uh woman named brooke jackson and uh her background is well she's a pfizer whistleblower and this is coming from her website. 
excuse me, her bio is in early 2020, it's, it's entitled How I Became a Whistleblower. In early 2020, when the government declared COVID-19 a pandemic, I was working as a director of operations for a multi-state site management organization. Two of the final projects that I was overseeing involved the testing of the COBUS SARS-CoV-2 and Abbott ID Now RT-PCR technologies and early phase trials of remdesivir. On September 8, 2020, I accepted a new position as regional director with a company named Ventavia Research Group. My, ma my main responsibility was to oversee the conduct of Pfizer's phase three COVID-19 mRNA vaccine trial at several locations in Texas. Part of my responsibility was to ensure the rights, safety, and welfare of the people volunteering to be in the study was protected and that the information collected from each of them was supported by the highest data integrity standards. In the 20 years that I have been involved in clinical research, I have never seen a study conducted by an investigative site managed by a contractor or overseen by a pharmaceutical sponsor that scared me until then. What I documented and reported to my former employer and to Pfizer during an internal audit was dangerous and violated federal law, but I felt that I had a responsibility to make sure that the participants were protected and that the fraudulent data being collected in the study was not used in any safety and efficacy anal analysis. On September 25th, 2020, I spoke to an agent at the FDA and within hours, I was fired. That moment led me to where I am today, a whistleblower who's fighting to hold those accountable for the fraud I witnessed that's now impacted hundreds of millions of lives in the United States, as well as around the world. So that's the bio of Ms. Brooke Jackson, who is uh, bringing this case against Pfizer and the, I don't know if you caught the company that she was um, officially working for was Vantavia Research Group. So Adam, I think you you again brought this to my attention. We want to give a little backstory to the actual case and like what's going on with that. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> um, it it just kind of amazes me that like you know, as soon as you try to, you know, in her in her mind, she's trying to like protect people, and this corporation obviously is trying to uh, undermine the whole process and just. You know, because obviously Fantavia has a contract with Pfizer and Pfizer has a contract with government. So they're just trying to push. This. They have every incentive just to push this through. And so does Pfizer. So, you know, this woman comes out and like, you know, to try to tell uh, the, FDA, the FDA that, you know, there's stuff that's going on that is not appropriate. And of course, she gets fired. It's like so typical. But I'll, um, you know, I'm going to read from this. <clears throat> this website called bmj.com because they have a pretty good article on it. And it says, uh, these are what the concerns were. September 25th, email to FDA Jackson wrote that Fantavia's had enrolled more than a thousand participants at three sites. The full trial registered under NCT 04368728 enrolled about 44,000 participants across 150, 153 sites that included numerous commercial companies and academic centers. She then listed a dozen concerns she had witnessed, including participants placed in a hallway after injection and not being monitored by clinical staff, lack of timely follow-up patients, uh, up of follow-up uh, follow of patients who experience adverse events, protocol deviations not being reported, Vaccines not being stored at proper temperatures, mislabeled laboratory specimens, and targeting of Vantavia staff for reporting these types of problems. Within hours, Jackson received an email from FDA thanking her for her concerns and notifying her that the FDA could not comment on any investigation that might result. A few days later, Jackson received a call from an FDA inspector to discuss her report, was told that no further information could be provided. She heard nothing further in relation to her report. If I, in Pfizer's briefing document submitted to an FDA advisory committee meeting held on 10 December 2020 to discuss Pfizer's application for emergency use authorization of its COVID-19 vaccine, the company made no mention of problems at Vantavia's site. The next day, the FDA issued the authorization of the vaccine. In August this year, after the full approval of Pfizer's vaccine, the FDA published a summary of its inspections of the company pivotal trial. Nine of the trials, 153 sites were inspected. Fantavia's sites were not listed among the nine, and no inspections of sites where adults were recruited took place in the eight, eight months after December 2020 emergency authorization. The FDA's inspection officer noted, 
the data integrity and the verification portion of the bio, bio monitoring inspections were limited because the study was ongoing and the data required for verification and comparison were not yet available. Uh, other employees, in recent months, Jackson has reconnected with several former, former Vantavia's employees who all left or were fired from the company. One of, them, one of them was one of the officials who had taken part in the September meeting. In text messages sent in June, former official apologized, saying that everything that you complained about was spot on. Two former Vantavia's employees spoke to the BMG honestly for fear of reprisal and lost job prospects and the tightly knit research community. Both con confirmed broad aspects of Jackson's complaint. One said that she had worked on over four dozen clinical trials in her career, including many large trials, but never experienced such a helter skelter work environment at Vantavia's uh, with Vantavia on Pfizer's trial. I've never had <clears throat> this is a quote. I've never had to do what they were asking me to do ever. She told BMJ, it just seemed like something a little different from normal, the things that were allowed and expected. She added that during the trial, uh, at her time at Fantavia, the, the company expected a federal audit, but this never came. After Jackson left the company, pro problems persisted that, uh, at Fantavia, the employee said, in several cases, Fantavia lacked enough employees to swab all trial participants who reported COVID symptoms to test for infection. Laboratory confirmed symptomatic COVID-19 was the trial's primary endpoint, the employee noted. An FDA review memor uh, memorandum released in August this year states that across the full trial swabs were not taken from 477 people with suspected cases of symptomatic COVID-19. I don't think it was clean data, the employee said, of the data Vantavia generated for the Pfizer trial. It's a crazy mess. Since Jackson reported problems with Vantavia to the FDA in September 2020, Pfizer had hired Fantavia as research subcontractor on four other vaccine clinical trials. The advisory committee for the Center of Disease Control and Prevention is set to discuss the 19 pediatric vaccine trial on 2nd November. So basically, you know, they they were um, they didn't do their due diligence on uh, you know when they're conducting the trial. Pfizer knew, the FDA knew, Fantavia knew, and there was basically nothing done about it. And anybody that spoke about it would get fired. Right. What I what I'm also taking away though is that Ventavia is 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 I think for context, it's a lab, right? I mean it was a place yeah, yeah. it was it's so it's not it's not on the same tier with Pfizer. If we're looking at like a pyramid, like Pfizer is at like the top of the pyramid and yeah, yeah. so Ventavia is like a way lower tier sort of entity in the in the grand scheme of things but yeah, what they would do right and what they what they would do is they would administer these vaccines right and they were supposed or, or were they no 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 they were testing these right prior to the rollout just to get that clear right that was that's ultimately what they were yeah and, yeah they, they were they were handling the clinical trials right. and then submitting the data to pfizer right okay got you and then what brooke jackson saw was she saw shoddy testing environments that she felt were substandard for especially for something that was like i guess a big national pandemic being being pushed as this but my my takeaway too is that you know uh, Pfizer and the vaccine companies better hope that that's as as that's what everybody gets mad about you know what I mean? That this is like as mad as people get and what they get mad about, that they're mad about, oh, they, they're they testing, they, they've rushed too much. I'm almost like, yeah, but they also just killed a ton of people, right? I mean, is that not more what we should be worried about? Should we not be worried about all the, the neurological and cardiovascular effects that are going to come down the road for people who were, would otherwise have been healthy, all the cancers, right? All the... Uh, I mean, who knows what else is is down the pike with the with these things? I mean, we could go real down the rabbit hole and start wondering about the five G towers that they rolled out while everybody was locked in their rooms and applauding at seven p.m. for the essential workers. They were doing a mass rollout of five G towers, but that's a way that we're going. I'm going way out there right now. I, well, I think I, let's, I, let's bring it back. <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, the problem is that it shouldn't have been approved to begin with and i think that that is Fair. um the, the standpoint of like listen this shouldn't have even been out there 
uh, with all the faulty data that they were submitting. And they knew. And, you know, the, the funniest part about this is, you know what Pfizer's defense is? Oh, yeah, we knew about the faulty data, but so did the government. So we're not liable because the government knew that, that the, the, the data was faulty and they approved it anyway. So they're claiming that they have no responsibility because the government turned a blind eye just like they did. This is how sick these people are. You know, like, oh, well, you know, it was not our fault. You know, they knew. I mean, yeah, the, the government is just, you know, they, the unfortunate part about this was they had every reason to rush this through. I mean, Donald Trump with the Operation Warp Speed, he, he thinks it's going to help his uh, upcoming 2020 campaign. Uh, you know, Pfizer makes money. Uh, Vantavia has every reason to push it through because it's probably like the biggest thing that's happened to that company ever probably and they're at the center of it i bet it didn't and, exist even before covid honestly i bet it was a mushroom company that came up just for that purpose yeah that's what i and, would think yeah and it's unfortunate because who really suffers at the end of the day like you said is the people that had adverse effects because nobody can say that nobody did had adverse like oh yeah nobody had any adverse effects ever it's like no it's pretty well known that you know people were having problems from it and it's um this is government bureaucracy at its finest uh and it's it's sad to see that when people try to do the right thing they're ostracized for it they, they lose their jobs i mean people i mean this woman had 20 years experience in the research field and she gets fired I mean, it's no coincidence. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder too. It's it's interesting that she, because I also wonder how she got in the position and and what her motives were, if there were certain motives before that. And and that's not to discount what ultimately she discovered, but I'm wondering if uh, it it just seems like oh, I found a lot of stuff, and hey, everyone, I'm the whistleblower. Look at me. Yeah. Well, I you mean, I'm not, I'm not she could. She could definitely, um, you know, maybe have held a grudge. Totally. And, uh, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's sometimes how this starts. But at the end of the day, this was still a rushed process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally, totally. That's my yeah. only, that would be my only critique is that, like, you know, it's could have been like a, a more fully realized opportunity than maybe it's being presented. But that's, that's just about it. Because honestly, I mean, I'm not going to bat for the uh, the pharmaceutical industrial complex on this one. No, sir. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, keep going. Uh, I was just going to say, they're the ones that are that have managed to drive off into the sunset with something like $30 trillion worth of profits, you know, in their <laughs> pockets. It's like uh, unbelievable. Um, well, it's kind of interesting because um, I met with, I, I, was, I told you this, I met with one of the, uh, my, Con my district's congressman's um, representative. And he told me something very interesting about running a campaign. He said that when uh, the uh, his um, when they were running the campaign for I forget that I forgot the guy's name in my district that was running. But he um, they said that they made like a fake picture of him and tried to like associate him with Obama or something like that. And I was just like, well, can't they get sued for that? And he goes, well, yeah, but at the end of the day, if they win the election, they won and they don't care. And they'll they'll basically be willing to pay out since they won. And that's the thing. It's like they don't care that everything was mismanaged because at the, who wins at the end of the day? Pfizer does. The government right. wins. So they have they don't care if they get sued into oblivion, you know, because, I mean, if they made 50 billion in profit, they'll fucking pay 500 million out. They don't give a shit. No, that's very true. They don't care. Exactly. It's uh, it's all part of the game. You know, they and they lift their shoulders up like, oh, who, me? I, oh, I guess I made a mistake. Oops. But like just moving on, you know, it's it, and it's always like, oops, sorry, but we're still the authorities. We're still the experts here, you know, and then they create a false binary of what the problem is. It's like it's either this or it's that. It's like, no, you can't just present these options to me where we're I mean, they do that and everybody does get distracted. For instance, they're like, oh, it's it's either this choice or that choice. It's either you're pro-choice or pro-life or you're Democrat or Republican or you're uh, you're either Black Lives Matter or or not Black Lives Matter. You know, 
<laughs> yeah, like, you're, you're an all lives matter guy. Yeah, so you're, you're all lives right. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's you're you're either with them or against them, and they they create this false binary of conflict, and that's part of their they weaponize that, and that's uh, that's that's what they're uh, very effective with, unfortunately. And that's what we are trying to call out. Uh, but we're gonna go to break, I think, and then when we come back, we'll continue with the calling out and. Um, I don't know. Talk about some more, some more fun stuff. So we'll see you guys on the other side. Stay podcast. suit uh with uh pfizer and we kind of just want to segue into something that that i I think is deeply important because i I think that what has happened with you know the the vaccines and uh everything that's kind of going on in the world I, i think that people need to realize that you know what we're consuming may not be in our best interests uh and you can take that however you want. Uh, I I personally feel that what is driving society today is not only misinformation, but uh, a kind of foolishness to believe that what we're being told is truthful and that the people that are supposed to be our overlords, as you say, uh, have our best interests because they really don't. Uh, every time you pick up your phone and you're on social media and or you watch the television or uh, you go out and you go shopping and you're seeing advertising, it's all garbage. And it's all meant to take you away from yourself because that's the kind of world we're living in today of, you know, the, the, the world of consumerism, materialism, and the very fact that you know, there, there is nobody out there that can not, I'm, uh, not save you because you're, you are responsible for your own, um, for your, for yourself. But I think that there's nobody out, there really isn't anybody out there that's going to save us from this position, but ourselves. And we kind of have to come together in, in, in a community to try to make uh, this world a better place to live in. Because if we don't, we're going to continue the snowball effect down the hill where we're just not going to be able to, to stop it because the powers that be are very strong. Uh, everything that, that we are consuming is basically poison. And, you know, and that, that's a very, that's a very loaded word, but I, I think it's the right and appropriate word to use because if you think about it, what are you consuming that's really good for you? I mean, every ad you see uh, when you watch sports or television is Burger King, McDonald's, Sonic, Big Gulp, whatever. Uh, everything you go on social media is 
nonsense. Uh, people either, you know, they're posting how great they are, how miserable they are. Um, there's, there's no real, uh, there's no real content anymore. And, and the content gets diluted and it's kind of like Netflix and all this stuff. It's all diluted content because it's just so much garbage out there that we are forced to consume this. And then we carry it around in society and I believe it causes depression and it makes us sad and, and we don't know. And it, it's not something that we're consciously thinking about. I think, you know, we don't think about, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you look at Instagram and you see, you know, all these beautiful people, everyone's on vacation and all this stuff. And then people wonder why they're not feeling a hundred percent. And I, I just think that it's important for us as a society to, to try our best to get away from this ideal and try to shrink our lives, but expand them at the same time by being good to each other and reaching out and, and wanting to make a difference in our community. hundred percent. I, I, they, the powers that be the, the, which we'll, we'll call out as those who the general population gives authority to who say very willingly, Hey, you could take over. You take the reins of running society, and most the ninety nine percent of uh, we're we're speaking to like the West, I guess. You know, people who uh, actively would identify with you know the United States or Europe or or some system that's uh, a major participant of the global dollar system. But you know, the more when you give your power over to those people who then you say have authority now they are in charge and they are suddenly thinking, how do I run society? How do I run all of this? And you want to assume that they have altruistic motives to them. They do. But at the end of the day, it's, it largely comes from a sense of self-interest because that their sense of morality is not based in any sort of higher sense of morality. It's based in the government that they are in control of. So they're, and everybody knows that everybody there there's no there's no lie even being presented about that they don't even bother at this point it's very very godless whatever your definition of god is i mean they may say it's it's the universe it's science but they are the ones who define what is important knowledge what is important to know uh you know that's there are certain things and certain ways of 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 thinking that they think are not only unimportant, but they think are just evil to even think about or are like evil paths to go down. And that should that should be alarming that anything that people who want to openly entertain mutilating children and exposing them to the most depraved sexual acts imaginable, that these people have some sort of moral uh standard you know where they were uh, regarding knowledge as if exploring certain things is off the table but to go back to the point about poisoning people so these are the people who have authority now if we want to look at we could go macro micro if these people are in charge of a big society imagine you being in charge of your household you're you have pets for instance okay these are sentient creatures you don't want them to have you don't want them running the whole house that's not good for anybody. You don't give them the bed and then you sleep under the table. You don't uh you know give them all the food in the fridge and then you starve. There has to be some sort of system. There has to be some sort of structure. Dare I even say a, a hegemony to borrow a word from the the cultural marxist which is uh, a system of power really i mean that's it, hegemony is more defined as like a system of oppression uh where the powers that be define the rules of power and then people on the bottom tiers are oppressed but okay so let's not even touch on that we'll just say it's a system of of authority a system a structured system where not the people on the bottom uh are usually kept in a place on the bottom but if we look at our system where we give authority to these people who are running it, they are the most corrupt, scummy, self-interest, selfish, depraved, like every terrible adjective you could find in the dictionary you could put before these people. And I don't even think that's so much of an exaggeration because it's just the nature of the job at this point. 
Like you get into these positions because you want to bleed some, you want to bleed it dry. You want to sit on a big pile of money, a big uh, or a big pile of skulls, because really that's the only way that the dollar stays in power is is at the the tip of a gun being pointed at people to participate in it. Not so much us here, but I mean it is it is true here. I mean, if you were not to pay your property taxes or your school taxes, what would happen? You would go to jail. There's a threat if you do not give government their due they that gun will come and that gun will get you uh the same thing with foreign countries so these people are the ones who are calling the shots they do not have it in our best interest to keep us in a healthy state whether it's mental whether it's physical everything uh, at their disposal to create systems that have long-term gains for them are just like the best. They they love that. They love investments of time where their money makes money for them. I mean, that is the secret to wealth. Anybody who knows Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know the secret to wealth is where your money makes money for you, where you don't invest time to make money, you have your money make money. Now, all these rich guys know that. All the, all the, they are the people in power. They're the people calling the shots. They're the people who Klaus Schwab calls up and is like, hey, you coming to my dinner party tonight? And they're all showing up, you know, everybody who's having money, make money for them. Everybody who's a disciple of Robert Kiyosaki in one way or another. So I mean, I'm here for the gangbang. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, you go next door. That's uh, that's George's. That's Bill's house. <laughs> Coming <But>. later. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And it's uh it's it's right in front of our faces, and if, if anybody that is uh, I, that doesn't see it, it's just because they're just being fooled, and it's really indoctrination because I think that the the younger generations uh, just are so uh, their their minds are just clouded by, by technology. I, I was getting my hair cut yesterday, and this little girl, she must have been six or seven. Had like a brand new iPhone, and she's like sitting in the the chair, uh, waiting to get her hair washed. Looking at her phone, mom's like, "Oh, you know, you gotta put the phone down if she's gonna wash her hair." And yeah, you know, the girl was cuter, you know what I mean, like really adorable. But I'm like, what is this seven year old doing with a freaking like iPhone 15 or whatever? I don't even know what these things, you know, how what iPhone the newest one is. But uh, so it's like a government's wet dream. To be able to have this device in, the, in such a young person's hand. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, if any Nazis and fucking communist regimes would love that, if they could have done that fucking 100 years ago. You know, that's like right up their alley. It's like you would have told freaking Hitler or Stalin or any of these, uh, you know, Mao, any of these crazy world leaders. Like, oh, you know, you can stick a device that tracks everybody. Uh, on them and uh, they'll ca- willingly carry it around and they'll talk into it. You'll know all their conversations. You'll know everywhere they go. You'll know every thought because they'll put it into the this device when they go on the internet. You'll know their fears. You'll know, you know, all these things is like, like I said, a government's wet dream. And it's happening right in front of us every day. We're all guilty of it. I mean, we're, we're doing it right now on a Zoom call, which could be monitored. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because everything is monitored nowadays. So everybody is playing into this role. And I don't want to make it seem like, you know, I am the moral compass for, you know, I'm not living in a, in a farm in the middle of the woods, you know, disconnected from society. But they Although make those people- we do. It's not like we don't advocate that. In fact, yeah, yeah exactly. we highly recommend that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I to mean, a certain I, degree. Yeah. Yeah. And. I think that you want one foot in, one foot out, you know, and I think that's kind of, you know, like the way you grew up, Jared, you know, like your your father, you know, buying a place where you grew up, you know, I, I, he didn't like completely come out of society 100%, like, you know, that like you guys didn't uh, have like normal things, you know, it's not like you guys didn't have, you know, internet and cable and, you know what I mean? You still had a life. So he kind of had like one foot in, one foot out of it. You know, he just want to me, it's like, he just wanted to be away from anything that all the crazy people in the cities if anything went down. And that's what I got out of it. When you told me kind of like why your father got the place. Yeah, totally. So I, you know, I lived, as you remember growing up, 
uh, I lived about a half hour drive from the school, the high school we went to. And that was just all rural roads, just going like all the way out there. And uh, it was great. I loved growing up there. Um, I would, I just wish, you know, in an ideal situation, I wish that my family didn't decide to be like a distant outpost of like a, a more central hub. I wish that we had community real close to where we were. I mean, I'm glad that obviously you and I were, that, that's how we became friends, you know, and did all the epic stuff we did in our life. But it would have been awesome if everything was there in it. Cause that's, that's the secret I think to a strong community. It's kind of ironic because we've railed hard against these smart cities, which are often like coupled with the idea of 15 minute cities but I think the idea of a 15 minute city in terms of it being like walkable where you could walk, because I think that is the idea of a, if I'm not mistaken, or or maybe it's like one hour cities where you're supposed to be able to walk the distance and get like to all the basic amenities that you would need reasonably, like the, the market, the, you know, the barber, et cetera. So I think that's that those are the sorts of things that like I think are would be great moving forward. And I think are essential actually for talking of like whatever the next phase is, because, you know, these psychopaths who we've been talking about who are hell bent on killing us, poisoning us, bringing the whole house down in flames while they're, you know, jetting their wealth, wealth off to the Middle East and China. Uh, you know, what a lot of us are going to be left holding the bag if we're not thinking of what's the next step or our kids are or our grandkids are. They definitely are. That's why I always think I'm like, man, you boomers really like messed this up because you guys were so focused on everybody being happy. You didn't think about like the people who weren't here yet and what was next, because that requires sacrifice. That requires not doing what you want to do to make you happy right in the here in the now. So, you know, that's kind of like my ultimate takeaway what I, what I, the energy I want to bring to this podcast, like always, or at least now, you know, maybe I'm sure my ideas will evolve going forward, but it's just that like sense of, you know, wanting to have like that local community. But um, yeah, I don't know. Why, anything yeah. you want to. Yeah. Well, it's sad because like, we grew up in such like a wonderful, beautiful place, but even the local community was still screwed up, you know. And it, it didn't even, uh, it it didn't even seem like there was much community, even though everything was very small. I mean, everybody knew each other and stuff like that, but there wasn't a sense of like real connectiveness, connectedness uh, between you know, all the families and all that stuff. It's just like kind of like everyone kind of did their own thing um, regarding like our parents. And, uh, you know, there wasn't like a sense of, you know, we're all in this together and we're all like here living in this wonderful place that's trying to make it better. It was just, everybody was, everybody just seemed like they just, and I guess it's kind of like a microcosm of life. You know, everybody's just so into what they were doing, their businesses. And well, all that I stuff think, that, let me, if I could just yeah, say, yeah. I think the reason for that is think of what the hub, uh, like what the, the center of our life was and everybody's life really in that town. It was the school. Like we were in such a small town, but still the school was like this holy temple on a hill. It's literally like at the top of four cascading hills overlooking the whole town and, you know, there are houses that are like decrepit, falling into disrepair, but you have this like temple on the hill and it's really just like a beacon of state, the state education system. And that's what our life revolved around. So it's no wonder there was no real sense of community because it was what they were selling us. It was this sort of like paranoia, Lord of the Flies, uh, rote memorization in order to get what you need out of life, like these perversions that were just like everywhere, you know, being in fifth or sixth grade and hearing the sort of perverted stuff we were hearing from like other kids or just was like, it's, it's insane to think about. But I think also too, I'm like, I'm thinking of times growing up when in a small town, when we felt like when I felt the most there was community was usually something church related, you know, actually I remember like all the church events and I don't know if you were, 
because this was like when we were really really young the the catholic church used to have these like big christmas parties and you know you can't you moved to town like a little you were like 12 i think when you moved 11 or 12 yeah, 11 yeah exactly so but like when we were a little younger i'm, I'm talking like yeah it definitely it definitely was like a little younger than that they had these big big christmas parties and those were always like it felt like there was a big sense of community when those were going on um you know because i guess that was kind of like that was what the expectations were like when you're meeting people under those expectations that like you know you're all there not not even necessarily to be on the same like searching for a higher power or trying to get down with a higher power at that point but like the same like principles you you know you're all you all know that you're there for like a good purpose more or less the school stuff like i mean we see it when we look on on instagram or whatever social media when you scroll scroll through you just see people either fight videos i dude there's like i would say i have like a weird thing for fight videos i hate to admit it but like i would say 80 percent of these fight videos if not more are in high schools it's really messed up it's just watching kids beat the crap out of each other and then um thinking also the parents like just angrily yelling at these pta meetings so like these are places of just like violence and chaos and it, they're basically prisons, you know, versus, I mean, to go to a church again, you know, and just thinking of that, you don't see fights normally in church. You see people like on aspiring to be on their best behavior across all walks of life. And it's like the state actively tries to remove something that seems to be providing goodness and an optimal state for people, but they want to remove that or excuse me they want it they insist upon these sort of social structures that are destructive and i don't understand they and they literally like push this narrative that oh the school system is essential like government sponsored schools are such a good thing for society can you believe that 150 years ago abraham lincoln had to go to a, a, a log cabin in the uh, like with a school teacher with like kids who were younger than him i'm like that sounds awesome that sounds like the best system like you have an awesome community you're like you know what we're all going to invest in a really smart person to teach our kids and they'll just go there every day and this person will know them all their whole lives and he will instill in them the knowledge they need rather than this like anonymous again lord of the fly situation where it's like the teachers maybe they don't even know you and you're just hoping that you don't get jumped by uh daryl and his boys you know when you're walking to uh, the cafeteria or something. Yeah, and I, I, it's just so funny because like teachers, <clears throat> one thing about teachers uh, I read are teachers have some of the highest degrees of narcissism. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, you have like these people there that just think that they're so great with what they're doing. They're, I'm a teacher. I give back to the children and stuff like that. And then one day you realize that these people never really gave a fuck. You know, these people right. didn't care about me. And I had to find out the hard way, you know, through my own experience that the people that, you know, tried to say that they supported me and, you know, that they were going to, you know, they, they had my best interest. And then one day I find out what well, it was actually the exact opposite, that these people didn't have my best interest. And actually, they pretty much turned against me when I, I wasn't in the school's favor. And that's how quickly things change. And, you know, I'm a kid, you know, it's not like I'm a grown adult making a decision. You know what I mean? I'm a kid and these grown adults, you know, kind of turn their back on me because of a, a stupid decision that I made. You were a sacrifice. And like, yeah. And it's like, well, you find out at 17 years old that not only are people full of shit, but when people say they support you, they're probably full of shit, too, because, you know, but that's such a hard lesson for a 17 year old to learn, because uh, <clears throat> I think that it's a kind of messes with your head a little bit, because then, you know, I maybe that's where all this distrust, distrust I have for society comes from, because I usually assume that somebody, if they're telling me something, it's full of half truths and usually people only care about what benefits them and what's good for them in the moment. And, and that's what I kind of realized from, you know, kind of going to school and uh, 
getting that kind of education because it really is indoctrination because at the end of the day, they're, they're teaching you these things and we have to take their word for it that everything that they said happened has happened. And I'm not a history denier, but it's coming from the state and the state lies to you all the time about everything. And we're literally under their guise trying to get an education and all these people have done have just lied to us consistently. And, you know, the things that they're teaching now in schools are just like totally beyond like what we were learning when we were in school. Like I didn't need to be forced to accept a gay person. I just lived a life and knew it was the right thing to accept everybody around me, no matter what they were, no matter what race, no matter what their gender was, what they thought they were. I never cared. I just did it you know and we have a world where they're trying to take away people's personal biases which is an impossible thing to do uh, and all you do is create animosity by teaching these things to children you anger the parents you confuse the children and most of the teachers probably don't even believe in it to begin with so you have like this this giant clusterfuck of nonsense being taught to people that nobody really understands but the people from the state are saying, oh, you got to do this. And that could be regards to anything. It could be uh, regards to like gender identity or racism and all this stuff. And it's just I knew to accept people. You did. Who taught you that? You know, yeah, you didn't have to learn it from some suit, you know, or some idiot teaching you. It. You just had to, you know, you just learned it by living life and you know what the right thing is. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my more valuable insights and lessons were learned when I more challenged authority, where I called out authority when I felt it was not, well, I, I actually shouldn't say when I felt, uh, even though there there usually was some sort of strong conviction. The conviction was definitely more the important thing earlier on, but the more you start following that conviction and supporting it with facts, and then the facts take over and you realize, okay... I, at least my gut instinct was leading me the right way that this is, you know, this is not true. There's there, uh, what they're trying to tell me is not true. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't hold together. And I mean, I, I also, I find it funny that a lot of the reason there's not, not a lot of comedy, it seems these days is because they really are pushing so much chaos and confusion and humor. The most effective humor really relies on things be, that are true you know, that, or that have some sort of element of truth to them. That's why we all will just crack up at like the best relationship joke, you know, about like a man and a woman, like doing the, the most simple stuff. And everybody just starts dying laughing because it's like a perfect observation, but they're trying to pitch all this nonsense. Everything is an inversion. It's at the point right now where and it's, it's kind of <sighs> annoying to say, because like it, it, I've been called out in the past. Like, Oh, you really think everything is a conspiracy, dude? I'm like, uh, not everything, but actually kind of almost at this yeah. point. It's like ah. everything. What's that? So what's not a conspiracy? Well, I mean, that's actually, that is it. And I'm like, that's almost the biggest joke is that you want to think that it's not, that the conspiracies don't exist. And it's like, it all is, you know, it all is some sort of, if you don't think someone is scheming this up, then you're like, you're just the one being taken advantage of, you know, it's like, that's, that's usually how it goes. I try to tell that to people who are, you know, like, oh, I just want to, you know, grill and watch football. It's like, yeah, but dude, what, you know what it's, that's nice and everything, but they want you to do that too, man. Like they just want you to sit there and be weak and be jerking off all day. And <laughs> that's not, that's not the way forward. It's not the way forward. Uh, they make it's it easy to do that. It's not the way to the promised land. I mean, just think about this. When you're ready to do that and you pull your phone out of your hand, think about that there's like a little kid in Uganda mining that stuff. He's mining all the, the rare earth metals out. Or think about the, the uh, the you know, the trafficked humans that may be participating in the adventure about to watch. But no, no, no. Let me get away from the moral preaching, the sermonizing stuff. That's... You know, that maybe we'll come to that at another episode, but I, I do feel that that stuff is very important in terms of strengthening the individual. And that to that's like if they are trying to make you do it and they make it easy to do, 
I just think that that's part of the plan to keep us weak. You know, like anything that they if eating white bread, like eating shitty food, getting terrible vaccinations, watching porn, uh, you know, whatever else they really want you to that Going they make easily TikTok, accessible. You know. Yeah, exactly. Because that really is that's just as uh, that's basically porno. I mean, it does the same thing for your brain. It's just like big hits of dopamine, you know, big feel good things. You become a zombie. And it's it's funny because I mean you alluded to this before about social media just being so, uh, you know you were like I it's probably depressing. I'm for a fact it's it's messes people's heads up without a doubt because, dude, think about this. They had a term. Uh, it was a common phrase for voyeurs, even like 50, 40, 50 years ago. Peeping toms. You never hear that today. Because being a voyeur used to be a weird thing, like being someone who was like observing others when they didn't know. But now everybody does it. Everybody is watching videos of others and it's so accepted. But that's not that's not the natural way for like the human brain to be. We're supposed to feel shame watching others in their privacy, just as we should feel ashamed when, when people observe us. That's like a natural way to... To be, I think, in a lot of ways, because that that creates a sort of healthy society where we respect others uh, in that in that way, you know, and and then we don't want to project all of this this depravity out into the public space. People who want to have their private things, they could do that in the private, but you know, in behind their four walls in in some way, and keep the external world decent because kids really don't deserve to be messed up. Like, you know, purity should be kept as long as possible. Innocence should be kept as as long as possible for these kids, you know, where they should not be. I mean, I think when I was a kid and I I still remember like when I was rocked, like when my brain was rocked, when I was introduced to something that was just like mind blowing, you know, like, and sometimes I'd just be like rocks for a few days. I, I would I, just be like, it's funny. I, I remember you had like the first like MP3 player. You know, oh, you, had, yeah. like, six, you had like six songs on it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, yeah. If I if I could get eleven songs on it, it was like a miracle. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I, and they would have to. And I remember, like, I had like the perfect eleven that would like fit on there. And if it was any other like arrangement, <laughs> I, I couldn't even get more than eight. <laughs> but then you got like a mini disc player and you yeah, could, you had like 200 songs in there i was like oh how dare you yeah i know it's, <laughs> it's so funny when you're a kid like you know all that stuff matters but i think it's, the main thing is like what we're talking about is all this is meant to take you away, away from your intuition because your intuition right. is what like your it's like your hyper your 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 hyper sense to like the universe almost it's like you're that, that connection you have to uh whatever it is out there that's what you, like your intuition is it's like exactly you, know, you get you get like you know when something I, I can only speak uh speak for myself but i know that my intuition is like on point but, but then my analytical mind destroys it and usually that's only because like um my over analytical mind wants to kind of ruin that intuitive voice in me and i think that's kind of where we are in society where instead of relying on these things that are like natural to us like our intuition and like all the good things that we have that connects us to something greater all this stuff is like a fog it's meant to keep you away from all of that because the more you're disconnected from your intuition and like that oneness the the more you're going to be deluded and the more you're going to be depressed and the more you're going to be confused and you're not going to be able to make good choices. And that's what they ultimately want is you to make, they rely on you making uh, bad choices. And it's uh, we're going to end up in a society that is collapsed eventually because we've reached a point where everybody's just so self-concerned that, the the safety and welfare of all of us isn't even going to be concerned anymore and i hope that doesn't happen i hope that all of us can just reach a uh a, a new level of uh uh vibration where we can all just see the truth and the veil is 
lifted. And I guess that's why we're here today and talking about these things because, you know, we kind of want to help lift that veil a little bit. And I think that that's why I think that they think we're dangerous because with the internet and all this stuff and technology, we know more than we ever did in history and their secrets can be easily exposed through the internet and stuff like that. So I think that we're on our way and I think that they're trying to kind of subvert that by, uh, you know, just bombarding and bombarding us with all this crap. Yeah. And, um, I think that I'm, I'm with you all on that, man. This will be my uh, final one. I think we'll, we're going to take off, but I, I look at it that we're not going to reach everybody. I don't think every single person is going to raise their vibration and suddenly see the light. I think there's going to be a lot of people who want to dwell in the darkness and aren't going to come to the table who aren't going to want to take steps forward. And I don't want to say it's okay, but it's the way it is. And I think the optimal state podcast is for uh, a real like select group of people. It's for, well, I shouldn't say a select group of people, but it is, it's for people who are, who are on, uh, you know, who are, are open, who are, who are ready to go down that path and, and ready to see uh, something different. So um, yeah, I guess with that, that's, uh, that's it guys. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Optimal State Podcast. This is Jared and uh, and Adam. See you guys again soon. Be well. Be well, friends. I got a girl and she's dead too. I drove a car off the fumes of our youth. I took a chance, well, I took two. Chance, man.